Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. Sonya Deville's stalker possibly not standing trial, an update on MVP's injury, and I take you through this week's Wednesday Night War. I'm Jaden Becker, and this is the Daily DDT Podcast. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite platforms for your morning drive, lunch break, or whenever you need your wrestling fix. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. If you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at JadenBeckerTV. Last night was WWE, NXT, and AEW Dynamite. But before we get into that, let's get a look at our breaking news Sonya Deville's stalker possibly not standing trial. Depositions in the criminal case against Philip A. Thomas II, the man who tried to kidnap Sonya Deville at her home last year, have started. Thomas is facing life in prison on charges of aggravated stalking, armed burglary of a dwelling, attempted armed kidnapping, and criminal mischief for the incident at Deville's home on August 16, 2020. On February 1st, Thomas's lawyer petitioned court to have a mental health exam completed to see if Thomas can stand trial. The petition was approved the following day, and an expert was appointed to determine if Thomas is mentally competent to stand trial. February 19th, tomorrow, is the final day for the evaluation to be complete. The next court date is February 25th, and at that time, the courts will decide if Thomas is competent to stand trial. We wish Sonya Deville the best going forward. An update on MVP's injuries. I'd like to come clean and say that there was some false news that was reported on this show yesterday. Sources claimed MVP went to Birmingham, Alabama to get the knee that he injured on Raw checked out. And usually that's where a lot of WWE superstars go to get their injuries checked over in Birmingham, Alabama. MVP said on Twitter, someone told me, and this is a quoted tweet here, Quote, someone told me the dirt sheets are reporting I went to Alabama to see surgeons. You guys should stop reading what those idiots report. They're always wrong. Face with a rolling eyes emoji. MVP did confirm himself that he did get an MRI but did not say the results of the scan. Uh, This is coming from a personal standpoint here. Uh, I pride myself on good journalism and morals. I apologize for the incorrect report that was widely sourced. I promise you that I try my best to give the best news possible in a daily podcast setting. That's why I always put the news first because I believe that is the most important. And not only do I put news, I try my best to avoid being a, quote, dirt sheet reporter because I want to give you the news that really matters, the news about Sonya Deville, the news about MVP's legitimate injury. I want to give you that news. I don't want to give you the news of a, a, a quote from someone else's podcast that a wrestler's hot take and who he thinks his favorite wrestler is. That's not the type of news I want to give you. I want to give you news that really matters in the professional wrestling industry, and there's plenty of it right now, as we saw today with Sonya Deville's case. That is legitimate news, the news of... Someone, oh, who's who's your favorite wrestler? Who do you think is underbooked? Who do you think is overbooked? I do not. I can care less about. I couldn't care less about what some ex wrestler that has a grudge against WWE has to say. But when MVP comes out and says something like this, it, it's legitimate. You know, dirt sheet reporters giving out false news or false information that was widely sourced. Uh, I felt like I had the right to report that to you, and I apologize for that information being. Incorrect. So now that that is off of my chest, we're going to start off with the WWE 
NXT review of last night, and this is coming off of NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day. What a pay-per-view it was. I still cannot get it out of my head, and this is the show coming off of that. And of course, that show ended with Undisputed Era and Adam Cole kicking not only Finn Balor in the face after coming together, but also kicking Kyle O'Reilly in the face with a super kick, and that one hurt a lot, a lot of people, and uh, still stinks to this day, looking back on it, but what a moment we watched. So, to start the show, obviously, you had to start with Undisputed Era, and they started specifically with Kyle O'Reilly, him making his way out to the ring, no entrance music, just the music that was being played at the time for the intro of this show, so he heads to the ring straight away, alone, no one by his side, and he can't make sense of the situation that happened, was not just kicked in the chin, but was also stabbed in the back by Adam Cole. He tries to call out Adam Cole, but Roderick Strong enters, tries to apologize for Cole, but O'Reilly still wants Cole to come out. And then instead of Adam Cole coming out, it's Finn Balor entering. I tried to pronounce it there the correct way, but let me pronounce it the normal American way. Finn Balor enters, and uh, he blames O'Reilly for what happened for Adam Cole kicking Finn Balor in the chin, and Pete Dunne, Oni Larkin, Danny Burch attack Balor, O'Reilly, and Strong. That would turn into a, a three-on-three, six-man tag match for the main event. Uh, passionate moment from Kyle O'Reilly. I think he did a good job on the mic. I haven't really heard him talk that much ever since uh, his matches with Kyle O'Reilly. Excuse me, Kyle O'Reilly's matches with Finn Balor for the NXT Championship a few months back. And even then, it was sort of overshadowed by uh, him being with the Undisputed Era. But Kyle O'Reilly being alone on the microphone really did something for me. I thought that was a very good way to start the show. And you sort of had to start it with that when you leave off uh, a pay-per-view with such a big heel turn. You had to start it with that. Then uh, good on NXT for recognizing that. And good for Kyle O'Reilly taking advantage of the situation. We'll see him later in the main event. Next match, and the first match of the night, Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae versus Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. And the way coming down to the ring, holding missing posters for Austin Theory, who was kidnapped by Dexter Loomis at the start of the Johnny Gargano-Kushida match at NXT TakeOver. I thought that was pretty funny. They had the papers, and they also handed out those papers to the crowd that was ringside behind the plexiglass, and they had that posted up against the, the glass as well. I thought that was very cute that they actually got the crowd involved there for, for something. I think the crowd at NXT uh, does so, so much banging on the glass. It just gives a, the effect of, you know, there's fans there. You really feel it. You really feel that emotion coming from the people ringside, especially when they're banging on that glass. I think they do a fantastic job there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really praising the fans, but the fans are what is most important to professional wrestling at the moment. You really need those back sometime soon. And on a grand stage, hopefully we see that for the WWE at WrestleMania. But going into the match, Ember Moon and Blackheart as a team, their tag team wrestling looks fantastic. And I'm finally starting to accept them as a tag team, especially since they're working together cohesively after the tournament. It wasn't just a one-and-done thing throughout the tournament. They're continuing after it. So now in my mind, Ember Moon, Shotzi Blackheart, they're a tag team. I can accept that because, you know me, I'm very picky with my tag team and my tag team rules. You know, two singles competitors should never beat a solidified tag team, especially if that tag team is the champions. Cough, cough, uh, last week's uh, SmackDown. So that's my grudge there. But 
since they're continuing with Ember Moon and Shachi Blackheart, they're a tag team now. And now I expect them not to lose to singles competitors, <laughs> given how well they've performed in a tag team situation. Throughout the match, a white van appears in the parking lot, and Gargano, who was on commentary for this match, goes after it. And Gargano returns with Austin Theory. Uh, a little weird given that they didn't show Austin Theory coming out the van at all, but he did return with Theory. Theory was handcuffed in a crop top shirt and short shorts and, uh, you know, funny stuff. But uh, it also had tied and zip ties between his wrist and his ankle, so he was just hopping around. But the distraction there uh, leads to Moon and Blackheart getting the victory after rolling up uh, Hartwell. But neither team really lost here, which is good at the end of the night because Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae, they were super excited to see Austin Theory, so they didn't really act like they lost. It honestly felt like a victory for them because they gained Austin Theory back. And Ember Moon and Blackheart, they got the pinfall. So both teams kind of won here, which is important, especially if they're trying to build up this women's tag team division. You know they're not going to do it in the main roster. We've already seen that. I've been begging the WWE to do that. Start building up this tag team women's division if they're going to have the belts there. And maybe NXT will be the one to hold the women's tag team belts because if they're willing to do so, if they're willing to build up a tag team division, and we'll see later throughout this show, I think they are. Uh, I really think that this belt can have some legitimacy, especially at the NXT level. So uh, I'm very, very excited to see where things can go. Open the show with a women's tag team match. What else more can you really ask for if you're trying to build a women's tag team division? Next segment, a short one, but they had Pat McAfee. Yes, the the Colts punter and now famed professional wrestler after doing what was a moonsault off of the top of the War Games cell, a War Games cage. Fantastic spot and Pat McAfee, Pat McAfee, great ambassador for the WWE currently. Comments on the Adam Cole moment at NXT TakeOver and pretty much gives us an I told you so moment, you know, calling him a scumbag, Adam Cole equals scumbag and all the stuff like that. We saw that on Twitter. And I hope he finds his way back into the ring sometime soon. Triple H made a good point. You know, right now, before the Super Bowl, Pat McAfee's pretty busy because he's a football guy. He has to cover the Super Bowl on his podcast. And he to just say that he does only one thing, as what Triple H was saying, was a disservice to Pat McAfee because he's very, very busy. But now his schedule is a lot lighter given the football season's over. So we definitely could see Pat McAfee back in the ring, which I would be super excited to see given the fact that even though we're talking about an outsider here stepping into the squared circle, he is not he's so athletic that it's almost as if he is a trained professional wrestler and does such a great job. So good for McAfee, and especially if he's going all in on this. Uh, I can't wait to see what they're willing to do next with him in the ring. Next match, Leon Ruff versus Isaiah Squirt Scott. Really good to see these two in the ring together against each other. Uh, they've been, you know, doing their own thing. Swerve Scott against Atlas. Leon Ruff was in the North American title picture for a little bit. He even won it. So, uh, for them to get together, I think this is great. In a match, one-on-one. Uh, Leon Ruff uses his agility early on with a fantastic spot, jumping from rope to rope to avoid strikes in the turnbuckle corner. And it's almost like a rope-a-dope moment where Swerve Scott can't connect with any strikes, but 
Ruff is bouncing from rope to rope, and it looked really, really nice. Really, really nice. Good job on Ruff there. This wrestling match turns into each other just trading blows back and forth. Ruff uh, re reverses a powerbomb into a crucifix pin and wins the match. Ruff the victor here. Uh, Scott goes to shake Ruff's hand. They end up shaking hands, but Scott, of course, attacking Ruff after the match. And it, Scott is still looking for a North American title shot, which makes me laugh a little bit because the division is so deep for the North American championship that Swerve Scott might be at literally the bottom of that division. And that's not taking anything away from Isaiah Swerve Scott. He's great. But that's how deep that division is, and if anything, that is a benefit to NXT that the worst guy in your division for the North American Championship is Swerve Scott. So, you know, I might be forgetting a name here, maybe Atlas, but he's, uh, I feel like he'd be more of a going for the cruiserweight. But for him to be at the bottom and for him saying he wants a shot at it, you know, at this point. I don't see Swerve Scott and Gargano putting on a match like Kushida did. Kushida definitely deserves some some gold around his waist, and I think that might come in the way of the Cruiserweight Championship, especially after the fact that the Karrion Cross and Santos Escobar match got nixed from this card, moving on to next week, and that match isn't even for the Cruiserweight Championship. So for that to happen, I feel like there's more plans for all three, for Escobar, for Kushida, and for Karrion Cross, Cross, I expect to be back in the NXT Championship title picture, given that he never really lost the belt. That is an, an important thing to remember, that Karrion Cross never really lost that NXT Championship, went out with injury and had to drop the belt. Next segment and next match, Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter versus Aaliyah and Jesse with Robert Stone. Uh, Bo was standing at the top of the entrance ramp, uh, but the distraction didn't stop Casey and Caden early on. They pick up the victory, an easy one. wouldn't call a squash match, but a victory that they needed to pick up and to progress the storyline of this segment. Uh, Zia Lee enters and marks the hand of Casey Catanzaro with a black substance. Uh, I, I'm guessing it's eye black, but they put it on the hands of... Casey Catanzaro and saying next week she plans to purge Casey Catanzaro so assume those two will have a match and you know Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter did a great job in the uh, the cup in the Dusty Cup and now moving on to an extravagant storyline with Zia Lee really something to grab onto especially if you're going in a more mythical sense with the NXT as a whole, we haven't really seen a ton of mythical stuff for NXT, but I feel like this is palatable in a sense where it's not over the top, but it's still believable, especially after a ton of the vignettes that they did with Zaylee and Boa for weeks and weeks and weeks. I think we, we are able to palate the mysticism of it. So we'll see next week how it all goes down. Next segment, they did the Dusty Cup Trophy Presentation. And with MSK and obviously Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez, the two winners of the Dusty Cups, men and women's respectively, MSK uh, celebrates up and down the ramp as they're introduced. They call out Danny Burch and Oli Lorcan for the tag team championships. That match is announced two weeks from last episode, so that would be March 3rd. Uh, if I have my dates are right, I might be a little off there. But it's meant to go head-to-head -head with the Shaq and Cody Rhodes stuff. So 
pick your poison. I'm watching both, but decide who you're giving your live rating to and who you are DVRing or waiting for me to talk about the next day. So that that's your choice at the end of the day. We're also going to see uh, Dakota Kai versus, uh, excuse me, Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez versus Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler on NXT. And speaking of Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, as Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez are making their way down to the ramp to uh, accept the trophy presentation. We get a ton of You Deserve It chants, and they're technically the quote-unquote heels uh, for throughout that tournament, but going forward, maybe they'll be the babyface against Nia Jax and uh, Shayna Baszler. And funny enough, on Wednesday night on NXT, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler both appear on NXT television, an audible pop from me. You definitely heard me go, oh my goodness, to watch Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler make their way down the NXT ramp. Great to see Shayna Baszler back in the yellow and black because uh, she really did some great things in NXT. Uh, Shayna Baszler dissed for heading to the main roster by Dakota Kai uh, after losing to Rhea Ripley. And Baszler reminds Kai about the broken arm that Baszler gave to Kai. Funny enough, they're going back and forth. MSK eating popcorn in the corner with Beth Phoenix. Another audible pop from me. I thought that was hilarious. And they will end up facing each other, yes, March 3rd on NXT in two weeks. So be there. I think it's going to be tough for me. This week, I watched NXT live. And I taped AEW to watch after the fact. Right now, it is 12.52 at night. uh, 12.52 in the morning. And... I'm recording this podcast to you, for you. It depends on what you want to watch. What are you most interested in? What card really tantalizes you? This is March 3rd, I believe, is also the go-home show for AW Revolution. So it, it's pick your poison. Pick your poison. Do you want to watch two great tag team matches? Or do you want to see Sha- Sha- Shaq and Cody? You know, that that that's really big. I'm going to have to make that decision. I'm not sure yet, but I will let you know which way I'm, I'm throwing my my rating. My, my little drop in the, in the big bucket, which way I'll go. And I really can't wait for this match. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez says she's going to shove the Dusty Cup boot up Nia Jax's hole. Once again, bring another hole reference into... Is this the third straight WWE show where they talked about Nia Jax's hole after the uh, tables match with... Lana, so that got a huge pop from me as well. Uh, Gonzalez and Kai need to win. I think it's so important for the WWE to make sure that these belts are legitimate. Nothing against Jax, nothing against Baszler. I think they do great jobs, but there's no one for them to compete against up in the main roster. Gonzalez and Kai, as we've seen, even in this episode of NXT, there's four women's tag teams that could vie for the belt. And not only that, they have the rest of the Dusty Cup slate that also could vie for the belt as well. So if they continue this effort of a women's tag team in NXT, I think they can do a really, really good job with it and prove how incompetent WWE was at the main roster, especially all the talent that they have. Even though they, some of them better form as singles competitors, there's no reason why the Riot Squad haven't gotten a legitimate shot at a pay-per-view attempt for the women's tag team championships it really blows my mind on why are you trying to keep the riot squad in the lower mid card of a division 
that is literally like three people, like three teams. It makes no, absolutely no sense to me at all. So I think these bouts need to come to NXT, and I sort of wish that this match was on a bigger stage, but it's as big a stage it's going to get going head-to-head against an AEW go-home show. So uh, they're doing their best effort, and uh, I think Gonzalez and Kai need to, need to bring them home. Need to bring them home to NXT. Next match, Kushida versus Tyler Rust with Malcolm Bivens. Bivens, uh, once again, great Twitter account. I think I, call, I don't think I've talked about this yet on this podcast, but uh, he has a fantastic Twitter, fantastic Twitter, and a fantastic follow. So make sure you you go check out Bivens on on Twitter. Uh, the match was made backstage in the trainers' room earlier in the night as Kushida was getting checked up on uh, after his NXT Takeover match against Johnny Gargano. And Bivens put up Tyler Rust against Kushida. The back and forth early on ends with a strong strike from Rust. Kushida takes on an awkward bump from the top rope when pulled down as they head towards the break. Uh, coming back, Kushida wrapped up in a modified bow and arrow by Rust. However, that submission is reversed into a hoverboard lock by Kushida. And Malcolm Bivens stands up on the apron and throws in the towel, pretty much saying that he wants the ref to ring the bell. Doesn't make Rust look bad there in that situation, given the fact that he did not tap out. He said that he wanted to continue in the match. Gives Kushida the win after the loss to Gargano. And the only one that looks bad, quote-unquote, would be Bivens. But it sort of adds on to his character, saying that this is you're my investment. I'm investing in you, Tyler Rust. You're my diamond in the rust, as he likes to say. And he wants to not see his investment get hurt. So it doesn't really hurt Tyler Rust in a sense, given that he did not physically tap out, even though he did take the loss. So we've seen already in this NXT uh, two really well-booked matches with people losing, and even though that they lost, they didn't really lose in the eyes of the viewer. So I thought that was very strong of them, and uh, fun places to put it in as well throughout the show. Uh, the debuting Zoe Stark versus Valentine, Valentina Forez. Uh Zoe Stark making her NXT singles debut. She did have a run in the Dusty Cup Classic and was signed in January by the WWE. Stark wins with ease. A fantastic finishing move with a knee strike to the face. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about that segment. Uh, Zoe Stark looks really, really good. And uh, she can do things in this division because we've seen... A lot of wrestlers who just find their way into the division. I can't wait for Eli Drake and see what he's going to be able to do. But they they booked her to win a match. She won it clean, and we saw her finisher, and the finisher was good. Sometimes what ruins it for me in these type of matches is if, is if the finisher is bad, and it's the first time you see it, and it's a bad finisher. It sort of leaves you with a sour taste. But the finisher looked uh, extravagant. It was like a flipping... You flip the person and you knee them in the face as they're flipping. So I thought that was really, really nice. And a nice exclamation point on that match. Next segment, Karrion Cross and Scarlet cut a promo. Uh, no pause button on this nightmare, Scarlet says. TikTok from Karrion Cross. And time is running out. And this is coming from me here. Time is running out for Santos Escobar, both literally and figuratively. Figuratively, figuratively coming from the... Uh, actual gimmick and from carrying cross but literally his time might be running out as nxt cruiserweight champion 
Uh, I was assuming that Escobar was going to find his match against uh, Jordan Devlin of NXT UK, but with how COVID is panning out, there's no reason for Devlin to come over to the United States. And at one point, the belts will merge. I see it happening when, I don't know, but I see that it probably will happen. But for right now, NXT in America is going to have to treat that NXT Cruiserweight Championship as if it's their own. And there's no, I see no problem with them putting it on Cross. I see no problem with them putting it on Kushida. And uh, I, I also see no problem with it staying on Escobar. But I feel like Cross losing isn't going to help him in, in any sense. Cross needs to have a belt on him soon, given the fact that he never really lost the NXT championship you know we're not talking about the north american or the cruiserweight we're talking about the main title in nxt which is a pretty big title for the wwe at the moment so moving into the main event p dunn Oni larkin and danny birch versus finn balor roderick strong and kyle o'reilly the fingers of finn balor taped up after his match at nxt takeover so i thought that was a nice little touch given that continuity there and even his fingers he couldn't physically hold on to the belt after the match against Pete Dunne, that's how mangled his fingers were. So now, continuing that his fingers aren't healed, he still has tape on them, so I thought that was nice. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly walks past Roderick Strong in their entrance. They did enter to the UE music, the Undisputed Era music, but O'Reilly wanted nothing to do with it and didn't acknowledge himself as a UE member, didn't hold up the sign, nothing like that. Just went straight to the ring as uh, his allegiance starts to bend and is broken currently. Uh, starting at the match, O'Reilly tags in Balor instead of Strong, making the point early on that O'Reilly wants nothing to do with Strong throughout this match, proving that he can't really touch, trust anybody in the Undisputed Era. O'Reilly looking fantastic through the match, just brutally wrestling with all of his emotions laying out on his sleeve and all over the mat, but he gets overzealous and has the ring cut in half on him. Chaos unfolds, leaving Dunn and Balor in the ring alone referee gets knocked out and adam cole interjects himself into the match pushes baylor off of the top rope and suplexes kyle o'reilly into the steel steps proving once again that the relationship between adam cole and the undisputed era is over so that's the huge confirmation there that we saw maybe it was a lapse of judgment we could have thought coming out of nxt takeover but no he confirms it on wednesday night and lets us all know that's it. It's done. No more undisputed era for, for him. He's out. And uh, Finn Balor uh, attacks Roderick Strong uh, inadvertently, thinking that he's going to attack, be attacked by Strong holding on to the NXT Championship, and then Dunn pins Balor to win. So uh, Balor getting actually pinned there at the end of the night. Big moment for Dunn for him to actually get a pinfall over the NXT champion, even though because of shenanigans, but it's professional wrestling. We always see shenanigans. So, a uh, big victory there for Pete Dunn, Oli Larkin, and Danny Burch. And as I write in my notes here, no questions left. That's it. We know. And uh, Cole returns to the ring, super kicks Balor, and Cole holds the NXT title high above the ring. So, probably knowing what's next. Uh, we could see a title match between. We should see a title match between Balor and Cole uh, at a takeover. I don't expect them to do it 
on a Wednesday night unless it's one of those special Wednesday nights. So good show. I'm going to leave my review for uh, my final grade, excuse me, for this show until the end of AEW. Have them compared t- side to side. This is the Wednesday Night Wars. You want to see them go head to head, and they have been going head to head for a long time. So we'll save it for then. But now we're going to go into the break. We're going to do some on this day in pro wrestling and then talk about last night's AEW. Stick with us right here on the Daily DDT Podcast. On this day in pro wrestling history, on February 18th, 2013, The Rock unveils the new WWE Championship belt. It was the big WWE Scratch logo replacing the Spinner belt. This was a huge moment for the WWE given the fact that they were getting rid of that Spinner belt that was brought in by John Cena in 2005. I grew up on the Spinner belt. I was always a huge fan of it as a kid. And I even to this day still have the toy version of that Spinner belt. And funny enough, that is the reason why a lot of people didn't like that belt is because it did spin. It did look like a toy. It didn't look like a championship. But from what everyone's saying as well, to that point, it looked great on television. It looked great also to sell merchandise. And it got me hooked as a 10-year-old kid. So it must have worked for somebody. It definitely worked for me. And now that WWE belt, to this day, has changed from the Scratch logo as WWE has changed their logo to the more sleek WWE uh, then now forever and looking towards the forever aspect of it they changed that belt to the cleaner logo and now they're gifting these championship belts these WWE championship belts to sports teams and athletes and NASCAR drivers around the world who have won championships which is a smart move because that WWE logo is right front and center. All you got to do is change those side plates for whoever wins. And now here you go. Here's a, a, a championship. But meanwhile, your company logo is front and center on that. I mean, you have the Buccaneers running around with the WWE championship with uh, Antoine Winfield, the big safety for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, holding that belt. That's huge for the WWE. Chase Elliott, winner of the Cup Series, in NASCAR last year, holding the WWE Championship with his number nine on the sign paddles. Uh, that That's huge. That's absolutely huge. So, uh, smart move by WWE, but, you know, manipulating their uh, marketing skills. Uh, moving towards a, a sadder note on, on this day in pro wrestling. This was a year later from 2013, 2014, February 18th. Big Daddy V passing away at the age of 43. A, a little history on Big Daddy V. And he went by multiple names in the WWF and WWE. In 1995, he was the King of the Ring winner. He went under the name of Mabel. And after he won the King of the Ring, he went under the name of King Mabel, thus giving him that gimmick. Uh, He made his return to the WWF as Viscera, as the Undertaker's Enforcer in the Ministry of Darkness. That was in the late 90s. And then he made another big run with the WWE in 2007 as Big Daddy V, and that's how I best remember him. He was really, really big. He was really big, and he was such a dominant presence. And he had some run with the WWE version of ECW, and obviously some run uh, in the late 2000s with the WWE and the main roster on SmackDown as well. I remember him feuding with The Undertaker and you know, Vicky Guerrero and Teddy Long were the GMs. That's my memory of Big Daddy V. He 
passed away in 2014 of a heart attack just four days after his 43rd birthday. We're going to move forward into AEW Dynamite last night. Good episode. Hangman Adam Page and Matt Hardy versus TH2 to start the night. Always nice to see uh, a match to start and not a promo. Uh, sometimes I appreciate it, sometimes I don't. NXT needed to start with a promo because you're coming off of one of the biggest heel turns in WWE history in a long time. So you needed to start with that, but AEW not coming off of that. And uh, starting with the match, I think that's fine. Uh, multiple pin attempts from Paige and Hardy early on. TH2 cuts the ring in half, dominating Hardy. Uh, Paige puts in a clinic on a hot tag, really showing how it's done in and out of the ring with ease. Hardy tags himself in after Paige tried to go for the buckshot lariat. TH2 botches the Phoenix Splash, which I thought was, uh, I wouldn't say fitting, but it, 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 was, it wasn't a, t- a nice spot to be in if you're TH2. You get a big match, you get to open the show for AEW, and you get your big moments to show off your finisher, and you botch it. Ah, that, not, not the best look for TH2. But Adam Page makes up for it. Double buckshot lariat, twist of fate from Hardy, and Page and Hardy end up pick up the victory. Uh, the tag team rule doesn't really apply here in my head, even though... Uh, TH2 is the more established. Adam Page and Hardy have a contract signed. And I feel like, you know, they've been working towards matches like this for the past four weeks now. It makes sense that they win matches together given the fact that they've been coinciding. Not like they found out that night that they're competing in a match together like how Cesaro and Daniel Ryan did versus the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, which is still irking me to this day. But... Uh, they've been working together for quite some time, so I don't think the rule applies here in this situation. So after the match, Hardy grabs a microphone saying that uh, he believes that he's getting 30% of Paige's uh, wage because of the contract that they signed, but uh, Jackson Duvall enters with the legitimate contract that was actually signed because Adam Page pulled one out of his jacket pocket and the contract ends up being shown that the contract is not a managerial contract, but is a match contract for Revolution. And the loser gets all of the earnings from the first quarter of 2021 from each opponent. So if Hardy wins, Adam Page gets uh, has to give Matt Hardy the first quarter payment of 2021 and vice versa. So... Huge moment there as Matt Hardy was swerved and ends up calling Adam Page a carny, which is hilarious because Matt Hardy's gimmick that he is the carny that screws over uh, talent because of bad contracts. Uh, Jackson Duvall, uh, I didn't describe who Jackson Duvall was. That is the mascot for the Jacksonville Jaguars, if you weren't aware. And uh, we all know the connection with AEW and the Jaguars. Tony Khan and the Khan family, they own the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that's why they're able to host at Daly's Place, because they own that as well. They're a very rich family. So, Jackson Duvall ends up attacking Adam Page, and Isaiah Cassidy of a Private Party ends up being in the 
mascot suit. The Dark Order comes out to save the day with negative one leading the charge. And the Dark Order still have a chance at getting Adam Page. You see the look on Adam Page's face. You see the look on all of the Dark Order's faces trying to urge Adam Page to join the group. Adam Page acknowledges them but does not obviously join them yet. And I don't think he'll ever join them. I think they'll always be on the hook of Adam Page but never actually you know it's like when, when you're texting that girl that you're texting for a long time but you know you never actually get together you're just doing a lot of texting so maybe that's the type of situation in relationship with the Dark Order and Adam Page uh, next segment Inner Circle they cut a promo they're going to be in action later in the night and uh, I didn't realize that tonight the, the match between Ortiz and Santana uh, is going to be their first title shot for the AEW Tag Team Championships and how long they've been in AEW for since the beginning almost and they're getting their first title shot now 2021 that's a that's a long time man that's a long time in my mind for a team that obviously deserves it obviously put they put on a Meltzer five star so why not give them a title shot right uh Chris Jericho tells MJF to shut up Jericho is mad at both MJF and Guevara but Guevara obviously getting the more of the smite from Chris Jericho saying that Guevara is dead to Chris Jericho for leaving the inner circle. Next match, Riho versus Serena Deeb in the Women's World Championship Eliminator Tournament. Welcome back, Riho. 11 months gone. And you kind of forget as the match starts and they go through it how small of a stature Riho is and she makes everything she does look that much more impressive. 98 pounds? They, they were putting her over as a, on commentary. 98 pounds? You forget that she, she was that small and she is that small. And for 11 months, you, you definitely forget that because she spent a ton of time in Japan. Uh, she had This is her first match back since COVID started in, in March. That's what they're saying. That, that March 2020 was her last match in the in early March, and that's when COVID started. So for her to be back, it's awesome to see. But Serena Deeb, dominant out of the break, uh, favoring her knee injury. Serena Deeb was wearing a knee, knee brace, but Deeb doing her best to injure the leg of Riho as well. Uh, Riho wins after a back-and-forth pin attempts, uh, multiple pin attempts back and forth to going through train, chain wrestling on the mat, but Riho picks up the victory uh, pinning Serena Deeb in a great women's match. And funny enough, we don't say that enough for AEW when it comes to women's matches. Uh, usually they come on at 9.20. We uh, watch them for 7-8 minutes, the, the women's matches, and then they go away. It's not right what I think AEW does. They, they haven't put the women's matches on a stage or on a level that they put the men's wa- matches, which WWE has been doing at a consistent level since the women's evolution. You know... I can't remember the last time we've seen a main event of a women's match in AEW, but there's been a good amount of times already in 2021 and definitely throughout all of 2020 where we saw a ton of main events being women's matches in the WWE. So uh, AEW, that's one place where they do need to step up is in the women's division, but there's a ton of places where other promotions need to step up as well. So I can get into that whole list, but maybe they'll save that for another day. It's going to be Riho versus Thunder Rosa, and that match I expect to be great as well because those are two top-notch talent for AEW in the women's division. Shaq training with Jade Cargill, 
And funny enough, they had a little package. Obviously, Shaq not there live, but they had a, a, a vignette-type package. And I have all of my notes here is I have one note. Why are they training for basketball when they have a wrestling match? A little odd. A little odd. They had a cargo uh, shooting basketball, running up and down the court, dribbling between their legs. They had Shaq shooting a free throw, and he made one. I wonder how many attempts that took. <laughs> if you know anything about basketball, Shaq can't make a free throw. So just a little odd that they weren't doing any uh, wrestling moves, but they're doing uh, basketball drills. So, yeah, I didn't know Cody Rhodes was uh, planning on doing a, a pickup game in, <laughs> in uh, Daly's place. A little odd. Next match, uh, Orange Cassidy with Chuck Taylor versus Luther and Serpentico. Cassidy was pinned early on after a pump kick but kicked out. Uh, Chuck Taylor and Serpentico were having their own match on the outside of the ring. It felt like uh, they were just going at it uh, since the beginning. And Orange Punch for the win for Orange Cassidy. And it was a quick match, but it wasn't a squash match given Luther got a pin in and a couple moves of offense in the beginning uh, early on. But I wouldn't call it a squash. But it was a quick match, so you know, not really much to take away from there. Team Taz, they come out instead of Sting coming out. It was promoted that Sting was going to call out Team Taz. Team Taz ended up being the ones to call out Sting instead. Sting enters, he comes out with the bat, and Taz uh, starts to talk to Sting, saying that you wouldn't be in this ring without that bat in your arm, and then Sting tosses the bat away, ends up attacking Brian Cage, Sting does. Hook grabs the bat and chokes Sting with it from behind, and then Cage takes Sting and power bombs him in the middle of the ring, that has to be the first bump for Sting in quite some time. If I'm not mistaken, I don't remember him wrestling in a match since, what, Night of Champions? I could be wrong. But since since the last match that he had with uh, uh, Seth Rollins, that pretty much put him on the shelf and almost retired him. You know, and put him in the, in, the, in the WWE Hall of Fame. You know, that's the last bump I remember off the top of my head. I could be missing one. But uh, you, you look at that and... And just say good for Sting. Still going at it at at, a, at an older age, and he's gonna be competing in a match at a Revolution and a, a street fight type of match. So we'll see how much he is protected or not protected in that case uh, by AEW and the talent. I'm sure they're gonna be as protectful as possible with Sting, given the money he's probably being paid and the you know the tenure of Sting in his age. So you know, that's definitely gonna be. Uh, a sight to see going forward. How many more bumps is Sting going to take <laughs> in uh, AEW? Next segment, and uh, I'm going to say it right off the jump, the worst segment of the night. Uh, Kenny Omega with uh, children. It seems to be either kindergarten or preschool. He reads uh, a small passage from the Young Bucks book that I have not gotten yet. I've gotten JR's book. Read that book, cried. Fantastic. But I haven't gotten the Young Bucks book yet. And uh, talking now... Uh, he was talking about Jericho and himself uh, competing in the match in the Tokyo Dome and how much it helped the business. And that's it. He closed the book. Uh, Omega leaves and the kids uh, beat up Nakazawa. And honestly, that was just a better produced uh, Impact segment. That's <laughs> if, if Impact Wrestling uh, had a segment to make, that would have been it uh, for, for an AEW show. It was just the camera wasn't focused. How about that? That that for me was comparative to Swinger's Palace type of stuff. It was unnecessary. I didn't need to see it. And uh, for the fact that Kenny Omega was the face of it, it kind of bothers me because it, it makes him look uh, 
unprofessional. You know, I wouldn't say makes him look foolish because that might be the the draw that he's trying to bring out of me from watching it as a, a fan. When I watch these, I try to watch these as, as much of a fan and get enthralled in these storylines as much as possible to give you my genuine emotional take from it. But when I watch something like this, I, I feel it, it looks unprofessional from Kenny Omega's standpoint and not really a heelish type of idea. It just looks lazy, if you will. And uh, funny enough, talk about uh, slightly being unprofessional. I just shouted out JR uh, for his book. But before the segment went live, he announced Kenny Omega, not as the AEW champion, oh no, as the WWE champion, Kenny Omega, he said. Oh, that that will live on in infamy and uh, will be appearing in Botchamania very, very soon. Next match, Santana and Ortiz with the inner circle at ringside versus the Young Bucks, the AEW Tag Team Champions for the AEW Tag Team Championship. Early in the match, MJF gets the entire inner circle kicked out for himself trying to attack the Young Bucks. So not only does he get kicked out, but so does the rest of the inner circle. A ton of back and forth early on throughout the match. Double super kick from the Young Bucks and Ortiz saves from the pin. And then the street sweeper from Santana and Ortiz. And Matt Jackson, just a little bit late on breaking up the pin, but the ref gives it to them anyway. If you're calling that straight down the middle and you're not calling that professional wrestling, you're just calling that as a legitimate shoot, that's a one, two, three. It really was. So I wonder if they do anything with that going forward, given the fact that that was, that was a three count. And uh, I kind of like that for Santana and Ortiz. They had that chip on their shoulder in my mind that going forward that they really did pin the AEW champions, but they also didn't in kayfabe. So Santana and Ortiz, they, even though they might not be the um, on the highest level like the Young Bucks are uh, in AEW, they're my favorite. They have to be, right, in, in AEW when it comes down to tag teams. You're talking to a New York kid, a Dominican kid from Queens, and now they, they come out in some segments talking about uh, a, a adobo sauce, <laughs> I mean, adobo seasoning, and... And they have the Tims on. They, they, they do everything right. They do everything like a true New Yorker would. So uh, I, I, I thought that was very, very nice of, uh, of Santana Ortiz. But uh, Ortiz is pinned in the middle of the ring from an inside cradle after he enters the ring. And that was a surprising move there. They didn't hit him with a finish or anything like that. He was just rolled up. Young Bucks retain inner circle returns and attacks the Young Bucks. And the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega watch on. From backstage, Good Brothers come and save the day for the Young Bucks. Uh, moral of the story there. Oh, one more moment. This was a pretty packed segment. The Young Bucks, uh, father and mother were sitting ringside. Jericho pushes the Young Bucks' dad. So a lot to unravel there in that segment. And sometimes this happens in a Jericho segment. Sometimes it doesn't. This is one of the times where it did, but it's kind of a lot to get into because Jericho's doing his thing, AEW's doing their thing, and it's just a little much. But what we see here is well, how much is that push going to go? Is this just going to be a one-week thing? Is it going to be more often? Uh, how far does this push go? Because they, they built it up to be pretty big with how much camera time they spent on it. And uh, the Bullet Club ties still run deep between the Good Brothers and the Young Bucks, but maybe not for Omega, and maybe not for Omega's fault either, either because Don Callis is there 
calling the shots. Fun moment in AEW in the next segment, a gender reveal on Dynamite for Brandy and Cody Rhodes' child. What they do, they come out, do their entrance, and the pyro, funny enough, announces the gender of the baby, and it is a girl. I really like how they did it with the pyro. Not only did that, they put it on the big screen. It's a girl. Congratulations from all of us here at Daily DDT to Cody and Brandy Rhodes. Oh, yeah. Another another, another Rhodes uh, member into the family. <laughs> uh, next match, FDR and uh, they are not with uh, Tully Blanchard because he is stuck in Texas because of the snow. Never thought I would say Texas and snow at the same time. Really weird how we're starting 2021. <laughs> it's not as bad as 2020, but I would say weird and not bad. How about that? I'll happy with saying 2021's a little weird. Uh, Cody Rhodes is on commentary for this. He announces the face of the Revolution ladder match. Winner of that is going to get a TNT title shot. So, I'm once again, throwing a lot of stuff at us really fast. Uh, Seidel's. Both of them are really hot early on. Uh, Cody Rhodes on commentary says he's going to blow up Shaq. And I'm still not a fan of the inside lingo on commentary. I talked about this yesterday with Impact. Uh, it, blowing up somebody, if you don't know, means uh, you're going to make them, make their stamp. Like you're going to prove that their stamina isn't worth their medal. You know, they're going to be very tired in the ring. And Shaq, you know, he was a guy that would get tired in the ring. But to say that he's going to blow him up, yeah, you know, the insider lingo on commentary. I have no problem hearing it on a podcast or hearing it uh, outside of professional wrestling in an interview or whatever like that. But when you're on the physical show itself, it bothers me a little bit. It gives, it, it irks me a little bit. It's, it's once again the professionalism of it. I feel it needs to be a little bit more strict. But uh, for it to come from Cody Rhodes' mouth, it, there's a, a a fine line, and he, he kind of is walking that razor blade for me. Some people love it. I'm personally not a huge Fan of it. Uh, FDR connects with the big rig and win. FDR go to cut the hair of Mike Seidel. And the whole uh, show goes to black. Luchasaurus appears on the screen in a silhouette with no mask on. So you can't see his face. And then the Jungle Express appear with Luchasaurus wearing a mask. And a new mask that is the same as the old one. Except the horns are back on after they were cut off by FTR. Uh, If they were going to tease us with no mask... Uh, you know, I thought they were going to see Luchasaurus with no mask on AEW television, but I guess not. It's okay. Uh, that that was another segment for me that was a little weird. Like, why would you put that in there uh, if you're AEW showing, showing his silhouette body? Uh, maybe a teaser, maybe not. And then they zoomed in on his face a lot. So I was thinking maybe they were waiting for him to take it off. And maybe he decided not to. I'm not sure, but Luchasaurus is still masked. <laughs> that That's the moral of the story there. Main event. Eddie Kingston, the Butcher and the Blade with the Bunny versus Lance Archer, Ray Phoenix, and John Moxley six-man tag match. Uh, absolute brawl prior to the bell ringing, just nonstop. And then once they all get back in the ring, uh, things started to settle down into a regular tag team match. Lance Archer with a nice spot, balancing himself on the top rope with action unfolding around him. Uh, for a guy his size, I, you know, we just say this about The Undertaker, but with Lance Archer, he's also a big guy as well. For a guy his size to be that athletic on the ropes and on the top rope is that is, is really, really nice to see. Uh, Kingston and Moxley go face-to-face. Uh, Bulldog submission from Moxley is broken up. 
Archer connects with a cannonball onto the outside, leaving Moxley and Kingston alone in the ring once again. Moxley connects with the paradigm shift and win. Uh, the Good Brothers attack Moxley inside the ring after the match and enters Kenny Omega. And this is where it sort of gets weird for me for AEW. Uh, there is a contract. Uh, that contract is held in Kenny Omega's hand saying that uh, you want a rematch. You got your rematch. It's here in this contract. And uh, except this time uh, it's going to be at Revolution. And my rules now. And he's even going to put it on. He, she's bragging that he's going to win. It's going to be so easy because he, he's even going to put it on Moxley's terms. And how Moxley, Moxley's turf in an exploding barbed wire death match for the AEW championship. So I want you to recognize there what I just said there. The exploding barbed wire deathmatch for the AEW championship. Uh, I didn't know I was watching CZW. I didn't know I was watching uh, ICW No Holds Barred in uh, New Jersey or in down in Florida where they are right now. Uh, not a huge fan of the stipulation, to be honest with you. You might be looking at me like I'm crazy, but I feel like promotions do this when they need the cheap attention, when they need to pick a really big stipulation to get someone over or just to draw eyeballs to the show to the pay-per-view the revolution was going to get eyeballs anyway it's AEW. they're doing a great job and for them to go in what i would say in a backyardy type way i'm not sure if that's uh the best type of look i'm looking at this from an american perspective i know in japan this might this is a bigger type of idea but still for an AEW championship, a very extremely respected championship right now. You don't see WWE putting on exploding barbed wire death matches. You see them put on extreme rules match once a year because it's the pay-per-view, you know? And you 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 take it off the chin. This I feel like I can't because it's not involved in the gimmick in any type of way. So uh I, I'm I'm a little put off by it. I am. I am a little put off by it. So, but that was the end of the show, and that's how it faded to black for AEW. Final grades for both shows, going head-to-head. Uh, I'm going to give AEW a B-, and I'm going to give NXT a B. NXT winning the night for me. Uh, not only do they have the better storyline running currently at the moment, but I think it was just a better show overall. Uh, AEW had a couple of skips along the way. And just honestly, coming from a perspective of coming off of that NXT TakeOver, I was expecting a lot from NXT. And I think they delivered because they answered the ultimate question. Was Adam Cole truly making a heel turn here or was this just a lapse of judgment? Oh, he confirmed it at the end of the night. Uh, The way AEW ended for me left this kind of a sour taste. For you, it might be a completely different perspective, and I respect that completely. But for me, I I was a little off put by it. Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. But either way, both put on solid shows. I think NXT definitely, without a doubt, put on a better show this week. For next episode, we're gonna look at NXT UK. Joe Coffey versus Rampage Brown. That's supposed to be the big match of the night. Shash Samuels versus A-Kid for the Heritage Cup. And Ben Carter will be in action. That is for NXT UK. And that's all for me. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. They do fantastic work. 
And really, every day they're coming out with new articles, new things that you want to see, and new things that you want to hear about. Maybe the, their opinion on some things in the AW verse might be a little bit different from mine. I'm just giving you my perspective from 1.30 in the morning. That's, that's the way I'm feeling. That's the way I'm coming at you. And if you do want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jaden Becker TV. I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.